When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My name is Ryan Stacey and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, you can visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm drawn by Michael Gershon, head coach at Chatham University. Michael is a unique coach, having taken the non-traditional route of starting out as a head coach and transitioning through the U.S. and college ranks. With a dedicated approach, he is involved in all areas of the operation and offers a great interview for those looking to enter the field of coaching. With that, I'm happy to present Michael Gershon, head coach at Chatham University. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Michael Gershon, head coach at Chatham University. Michael, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Yeah, I always love uh, having people like yourself on, coaches, uh, especially in in the college game where it is an area that I'm not as familiar with. And, uh, you know, again, just being a Canadian-based podcast is always nice to get the perspective of the U.S. system and uh, ironically, going through your career and some of the stops that you've had, it's it's very different, again, from anything that I kind of went through myself and um, it kind of deviates away from some of the stuff we normally see on the podcast. So let's uh, let's dive into that. But first and foremost, let's learn about you and kind of introduce you to the listeners. So maybe just start off by talking about your upbringing, where you're from, and then playing sports and, and things like that in your early years. Sure. Um, born and raised in New, uh, New Jersey. Um, played hockey, baseball growing up. Um, Played for the New Jersey Devils youth program, uh, pretty much from the time I was uh, 10, um, nine or 10, until I left uh, to go to prep school at, at 14. Um, was a silver silver medalist, I guess you would call it, runner up at uh, the Bantam, um, Bantam National Championships. So kind of we had a pretty good program. Uh, was lucky enough to play with some pretty good hockey players, Matt Gilroy, Hugh Jessamine. Um, a couple of guys that played national development team and um, college. So it was kind of just the start of, uh, I want to say, New Jersey, you know, kind of the New Jersey scene getting uh, to be better um, before you really had to go away, um, you know, to Shattuck or to prep school or, or different things like that to uh, to get seen by colleges. And it was kind of just at the start. Um, you know, I, I did go away to prep school. Uh, to Salisbury Prep for four years, um, which was which was a great experience. Um, enjoyed my time there. It was obviously uh, different than anything I had you know, done before, uh, where you had to play three different sports. So I ended up playing um, soccer, 
played soccer in the uh, in the fall, hockey in the winter, and baseball in the summer uh, or in the in the spring semester. Um, and I think that's I, I really fell in love with soccer. Uh, I'm a huge soccer fan now, uh, Manchester United fan. So uh, my wife gives me uh, gives me grief when I'm up early watching uh, watching soccer, um, but I enjoy it. I, I kind of tend to take some things from soccer. Uh, and try to to put that into um, you know into my hockey, um, but so got got a chance to play multiple sports, played lacrosse a little bit, um, so yeah, and then kind of after prep school, um, played another year, of, played one year of junior hockey uh, for the St. Michael's Buzzers in the OPGHL uh, was a great experience. Um, actually, was traded halfway through, um, started with the Milton uh, Milton Ice Hawks. Uh, and then got traded at the deadline um, to St. Mike's, and and it was um, it was amazing. Um, got to play for Christy Piero, uh, who reminded me on Twitter just before he got on that he was my favorite junior coach, which he absolutely was. Um, and he obviously went on to to coach in the OHL for Oshawa, and, and we still stay in touch, uh, even though I was only at St. Mike's for half a year. Um, I really, really. Um, felt a connection to, to the program and just kind of the history of, um, you know, everybody that had come through. I mean, if you, if you've ever been to, to, uh, St. Mike's arena, it's small building. Um, but it's, it's a great building with so much history and the players that have come through there. Um, and we had a really good team. We won the OJ, uh, championship lost in the uh, Dudley Hewitt finals. Um, but was, you know, played with Andrew Cogliano, um, Mike McKenzie, who's the uh, Kitchener Rangers OHL coach. Kane TC was our goalie. He just actually got named to uh, the development goalie coach here for the Pittsburgh Penguins, which will be cool. So hopefully we'll get to stay in touch. And uh, Shanzer Alfonso uh, is a linesman, I believe, in the NHL now. So it's kind of cool to see those guys, um, you know, kind of continue. You, you get to meet them when they're kind of stayed in the game. And I'm sure there's other guys that have as well, but um, kind of, you know, it's always fun when you see some of those guys in the ranks and, and kind of talk about you know, what we did and, and how close we came to um, you know going to the RBC Cup. That would have been uh, been nice. So um, after the uh, after St. Mike's, I was recruited to play uh, college hockey at uh, SUNY Brockport, which is a Division Three program um, in between Buffalo and Rochester, New York. Um, and so um, spent four years there. Enjoyed my time. Played a lot. Um, played uh, played over 100 games, which was which was nice. I missed I think two, one or two in my career. Um, and so yeah. And then after that, was lucky enough to play pro hockey. Yeah, it's it's quite the path, and I think it's just uh, you know the people that you meet and you talk about that one team, just how many uh, people have kind of gone on to different careers. And and Chris, uh, you know, definitely uh, the coach at the time, so he was kind of already on his way and. Uh, he would go on to the OHL and then Mike McKenzie, another guest of ours, uh, you know, someone else who has obviously had a lot of success uh, in the management and coaching side. And, uh, you know, as you meet all these different people in the game and you kind of take things from them and then uh, maybe look to kind of put it into your own process, I'm sure at some point it, it might have came to you that, you know, maybe hockey could be a career um, both as a player, but also as, as a coach or someone in management. So, Maybe just walk us through uh, maybe that point where you maybe thought about taking it, um, you know, off the ice and building a career and then kind of transition that into your start with New Mexico. Yeah. So growing up, I was 
my size right now. Like I don't think I've grown or changed. If you were to ask anybody when I was 12 years old, I think I look exactly the same. They would tell you I was first kid with a beard and I was always bigger than everybody. Uh, and then I stopped growing and I'm, uh, I, I don't know. I think I'm five, nine at one point in my hockey career when I was pro, I think I actually got up to five eleven. My wife likes to joke that I'm five, eight. So, you know, anywhere in the five, eight to five eleven group, uh, but I just stopped growing, but I was always kind of the biggest kid, um, oldest looking kid. And then, you know, everybody kind of went past me. So, um, you know, pretty early, I, I kind of knew that I wanted to stay in hockey. Um, yes, it would have been great to play in the NHL. Sure. But I mean, that's, that's a pipe dream for, I think everybody. Uh, I was the kid that, you know, on NHL with my brother was like, Hey man, I, we can't play yet. I got to set my lines, right. I got to set. So even early on, I was really into the coaching side of it. Um, just because I knew if, if I was going to stay involved in it, I really didn't have a desire to, um, have a normal, normal nine to five job. Both my parents, um, worked their own, uh, their own company. So they were always able to take off and come to games and, and just kind of have the freedom to do whatever they wanted. And they didn't have to kind of punch in, punch out. And so I, I've just kind of grown up with that mentality and, um, you know, hockey, I think would have, uh, would allow me to do that. Obviously we work you know long hours, but they're not, you know, nine to five punch in, punch out. Here's your, you know, desk and, and kind of go from there. So I always knew I wanted to stay in and, and how was I going to do that? I, you know, I don't think I was going to go play in the NHL, like I said, but you know, I was hoping that I could play college hockey and if there was an opportunity to play pro, but um, so I was always uh, as a younger kid um, watching hockey. My, my parents uh, had season tickets for the devils, New Jersey devils. So we would go, me and my brother would split, uh, split games and we would go watch games um, you know, once or twice a week, which was great. Um, and so just kind of wanting to stay involved that way, um, it, you know, was always on my radar. I don't really remember a time where I wasn't thinking, Hey, I would like to stay in hockey. How do I do it? Uh, I think my earliest memories, and it probably comes from my, my dad, my dad, uh, didn't coach me, but would, would put together teams, uh, summer teams, uh, would help out, you know, kind of recruiting for, for the devils and, and, and our youth programs. Um, and so I kind of saw how he would do that. And, and when we would go to tournaments, he would stay and he would watch games and I would go back to the hotel. I was, you know, 10 or 12 and be like, I, I don't know why you want to stay, stay there. But now that I think back on it, you know, he was, he was recruiting, he was looking, he was talking to people, he was, he was networking and, and doing those things. And, um, you know, I think it, you know, helped me as, as a player, you know, potentially get to different spots or, or know things. So, um, you know, I think that I grew up with that, um, you know, in, in the back of my head a little bit. And then as, as you start playing, you kind of forget about, you know, coaching and, um, and all that leads into it. But, um, once I got probably somewhere, you know, close to my senior year of college and I wasn't really sure, you know, as a division three hockey player back then, there wasn't a ton of options uh, to go play pro hockey. They just kind of division three got looked down on as, as not really good hockey. Um, and, you know, so I was lucky enough that, that my, my, one of my coaches at, at Brockport uh, knew an assistant coach with the Port Huron um, Icehawks and got me a tryout, which 
I was so naive. I, I thought it was a contract. I was like, oh, I got a spot. And uh, it was it was a contract, but it doesn't mean anything. The contract was just, hey, like if you make the team, this is what we'll pay you. Um, and so throughout the summer, I was working out. I, I was working. Luck. It's a. It's a. I was able to work out with um, a really good group of of pros, kind of college guys, OHL guys, pros down in in South Jersey. I lived uh, in South Jersey for two summers working. Um, at a place called Endeavor Sports, which was was run by um, Jared Beach, who is a good friend now, and and the head strength coach there was Kevin Neal, uh, who is now the head strength coach for the uh, Boston Bruins, um, and so kind of seeing the start of his career, kind of testing stuff on us and seeing how it affected me was like, oh wow, okay, and now you see where he is. Um, it's kind of cool looking at that, but you know, I got in unbelievable shape, better shape than I probably had ever been in my life, and just went up there and was like, Oh, okay. Like, this is great. And as they started to announce the players that they had signed, I wasn't one of them. And then when the training camp roster came out, I kind of went, Oh, okay. I'm not actually on the team. And, and I think that kind of fueled me that I needed to show that I could play. And, um, yeah, you know, I think I got lucky the coach there, um, Stan Julia, uh, liked my game, liked me combination of both. And, um, he, brought me, you know, to Port Huron and then also brought me to Wheeling, uh, where I spent two years, I spent a year with, with Port Huron and a, and a year with Wheeling. And so, um, but, you know, I think, I think is all, you know, most coaches know, um, you know, once you're done, you're like, Hey, what's going to happen. And, and I unfortunately got, uh, was injured and, and just kind of said, Hey, it's, it's time to, you know, it's time to hang them up and let's see where, where things go. Um, and, you know, began reaching out, um, Jared actually helped me hook me up with, with two, own, two guys that owned a, a team in New Mexico. And, and that's how I got hooked up with the New Mexico Renegades. Yeah. It's, it's, again, it's always interesting just to see that transition happen. And a lot of times, uh, it, it tends to be highly in coaches that we talk with. A lot of coaches kind of come from a, a playing background and, uh, they kind of had that transition period where they're just trying to, to see if maybe it's the timing's right or the opportunities there. And a lot of times it does come up from a connection or maybe somewhere you played. But your start, like you said, was in New Mexico. And uh, just talk about that first season with that program in particular. And then uh, maybe what you learned kind of, you know, putting your coaching uh, different philosophies and in that in, into practice uh, for the first time. Yeah. So I didn't know anything. <laughs> I, um, you know, Stan, Stan Drilly is, is a mentor of mine. Um, you know, Chris, Chris DePiro as well. And, and I, and Brian Dickinson, who was my head coach at Brockport. And I kind of took what I had learned from those three guys and, you know, kind of said, Hey, I like this. I don't like this. Um, obviously I was coming off of playing pro hockey with, with Stan. And so a lot more of his stuff kind of was at the forefront of my mind. Um, but, you know, I think I, I think I kind of said, Hey, I'm done at the end of, end of June, had a couple phone calls with these guys right then and there. Um, they said, Hey, we got this team in New Mexico. I want you to come out and coach it. Did some research. There was a, there was a team there, you know, I don't know how great they were, but they had a roster. Uh, and then by the time I think I ended up accepting it and signing it in mid 
mid July, there was no, there was no, there were no players. Uh, and so from my understanding, the team was actually supposed to be sold to a group in Dallas. Um, and these guys bought the team to keep it in New Mexico, but the players had already been told. So the players wanted to go to Dallas. And so my first job uh, was convincing um, parents and players to um, to come to New Mexico, which it was pay to play tier three at the time um, and, and give me a chance to, um, to coach them. And so I, I had, I went from some players to no players to then, you know, having to get 20, uh, 25 guys um, to New Mexico. And it, it was, it was hard. It was very hard um, because we needed to get billets. We needed to get pretty much everything. I mean, it was a new organization for the most part, just the same name, but new owners. And they were coming in trying to do the best they can, but they weren't local. And so um, trying to do everything in about two and a half months was, was a lot. It was a, it was an absolute crash course in how to run an organization. Um, And so I was lucky. And again, a lot of this is luck, lucky enough to, um, to get introduced to a, to a, a fellow coach in the league, Brett Culleton, um, who played pro and, and he actually knew my defensive partner in Port Huron and had looked me up on hockey DB and, and just, there was a connection there and he had had a camp and he had guys that he didn't take and he sent me his cut list. And I called those guys and said, Hey, are you, do you want to play? And that's how I would say I got at least 10 guys. And so um, it's just funny how things work out in, in, in hockey where you know somebody and they're willing to help or uh, they're willing to help players. I mean, you know, I think he was willing to help me a little bit, but he wanted to help the players um, because they they weren't going to fit in with what he was looking for. And so, um, you know, went into went into camp and, and I don't think we had 25 um, and slowly but surely as, you know, kind of junior hockey cuts come from the top down. You know, there's always players that are that are looking, and so, you know, I picked up a kid um, from uh, El Paso that was um, coming from our from another team in our league. We've made a trade or a waiver pickup, and the only way he could get from El Paso to Albuquerque, New Mexico, was by taking the bus. And I picked him up at you know, midnight in New Mexico, and uh, you know, some sketchy people getting off a bus, and and here's this kid from Sweden. Um, you know, with his hockey bag and, and another duffel bag and some sticks. And um, yeah, so it was, it was unique in that aspect of, of um, just trying to build a program without having any idea what I was doing, um, you know, and, and the program, uh, a lot of it is just copying. I mean, I copied what, what Stan was doing practices, um, you know, and then you just kind of learn on your own. You, you watch some things on, on the internet, you watch hockey, you kind of just pick things up. Um, but at the same time, I was also, uh, I was also the, you know, having to handle the, the tickets and advertising. And at the end of the game, instead of watching video, I was counting money, right. To put into, you know, to put into the bank to, for the, for the deposit the next day. Right. So those are little things that, you know, as coaches, you don't really understand, um, you know, at the higher levels you know, at, at the lower levels, it's, it's usually you. I mean, there's some volunteers. We had ticket takers and volunteers and, and those people were great, but 
you know, at the end of the day, it was, it was pretty much, uh, pretty much me. So, uh, New Mexico was, was a really good learning experience. Um, just to kind of find out everything that goes into running an organization. Uh, and it's not hockey. It's, it's very little of, of the actual on ice, uh, product that goes into, into running a program. For sure. And I, I think, again, a lot of times when you kind of go into a new situation like that and from other guests on the podcast that they have, they have mentioned as well, it's it's kind of a trial and error process, which could be a tough situation, especially when you're, uh, you know, sometimes you might only get one opportunity and you're trying to make a good first impression. But in a situation where it's a new team, a new organization, trying to recruit players and, and then dealing with the business side on top of it, it, it can be a lot. But you're able to kind of mold into that position and, and have success and, and get it all together. And then uh, eventually you would move on to new teams and new positions. And the next team you would go to is Port Huron, actually where you had played. So maybe just talk about um, how you found yourself in that situation and then the different dynamic now coaching with a team that you pretty recently had played for. Yeah. So I decided um, to move back, uh, move back that way. Um, after our season was over and had talked with, with the former coach during that time in, in Bill Warren, uh, who's now, uh, works with Honeybait youth program, I believe, um, works as a scout in the Sioux, in, uh, the Sioux Greyhounds in the OHL. And, and he had done, he had done a really good job. And I kind of said, Hey, I'm coming back that way. Can I be your eye in the sky for playoffs? And then potentially, you know, see if I can hook up as an assistant coach um, the following year and, you know, did that for that playoff run, uh, actually went on a road trip with him. Um, so kind of got a little bit of a sense of what was going on and then uh, all hell broke loose and, and he was fired and the whole staff was fired um, and they, they hired a new guy. Um, and I think, you know, I think I was brought on as the assistant coach, um, maybe with a little bit of PR right? I had just been there two years ago, previous, maybe two or three. So, you know, I had done a lot in the community and, and felt like I knew some people that were there and Facebook obviously helps and you stay in touch with people. And so, um, you know, one person that was working in the office, I think had mentioned my name to, to the new coach or the owner. Um, and so I think I was a little bit of a PR move because, you know, the previous coach bill was a local at, at coached high school and kind of taken the program and, and turned it around um, and done a really good job. And you know, there was some, some, <laughs> some issues. Um, but you know, it, it doesn't matter how you get in at the end of the day. Right. So for me, I was like, Hey, I'm back here. I'm, I'm moving up a level. Um, again, I had never been an assistant coach. I went from playing to being a head coach and, and learning. So it's okay, perfect. I get to learn and I'll be an assistant coach. Um, and then three months in, uh, the owner fires, uh, fires the head coach, uh, and says, Hey, do you want to be the head coach and GM? And you know, I mean, you're not going to turn down a pay raise and you're not going to turn down more responsibility. And, um, you know, I, I thought I was ready for it. I, Sometimes I can kind of come off having a little bit of, I don't want to say an ego because that's not what it is, but it, for me, it's passion. Like I, I really believe in myself as, as a coach and, and as a person, I think. And, you know, I, I kind of can come off as saying is, as, as being passionate and 
believing in myself. And so when I say, you know, I feel like I was ready, I, I feel like I was ready. W- was I ready? I, I don't know. That's for other people to decide. But I think, you know, we had a pretty good year um, trying to kind of recover from three. This I would have been the, those guys third coach in less than six months. And so, you know, that kind of really taught me some some culture building stuff and, and how to connect with players. And because there were guys that were not happy that the former coach, you know, the, the first coach had been fired. The they, Some guys weren't happy. The second coach had been fired. And and I'm kind of there as, you, you know, they're looking at me saying, you know, who, why you, you know, where are you coming from? And, and so we had to do some, you know, some building on that. We had to have conversations with, with kids at the end of the day, they're all kids. These are before um, college kids. So, you know, from, from 17 to 20, right. And how do you deal with, having a coach fired. I mean, I, I went through my entire career with, with never having a coach be fired. Right. So, um, you know, there's, there's guys that, that go through it. It's part of hockey, uh, unfortunately. And and there's guys that stay, you know, without a coach that's being fired and how do you deal with that? And so again, learning, learning how to handle players that don't agree with some of the stuff you're saying or, or doing or how it was done because it wasn't done the way the previous coach had done it. And, um, again, it's just kind of a learning experience for me that way. And so, um, you know, we were in Port Huron for, for two years and, uh, I really enjoyed my time in Port Huron. Um, it was a great, great experience. We were trying to stay in Port Huron. Um, we had a contract and we were working everything out. And then, um, the, uh, the team that is now in Flint in the OHL, um, tried to go to Port Huron um, before they went to Flint. And so once that process started, the, the, the rank kind of said, Hey, like we kind of see more dollars coming from an OHL team. You're going to have to look for another spot. And so, um, you know, unfortunately we had to start looking for another spot. And so, you know, then I, I had to start scouting locations and going to different spots and talking with different ranks and what are, what can you offer us? And do you have a locker room and what's your seating capacity? And you know, will you, will you give us ad revenue and what's the cost of ice and, and all of these different things that again, never had any, had to deal with because, um, you know, just not something as a player you think about. Right. And again, my, the owner was from California and wasn't involved. Um, which, you know, was a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, we talked every day, but, you know, wasn't there on a, uh, on the ground. And so um, it was kind of up to me to, um, to make those decisions as I got promoted to president uh, of the, of the program or of the organization. So everything kind of ran through me and, and it was great to learn again, sales stuff. And there was times I was putting dasher boards up uh, right before the games and just uh, doing things that weren't, coaching related and just because that's part of part of the job at the junior hockey level. So um, yeah, unfortunately we'd love to have stayed in Port Huron. I think it really was a good North American league tier two market. Um, You know, you're looking for a thousand fans a game, you know, at that level. Um, And unfortunately when we left, you know, the OHL team didn't go into Port Huron. They went into Flint, which then knocked Flint out um, you know, of, of the North American league game. And, and so now Port Huron and Flint, you know, didn't have anything for, for a year or two until I think Flint came back in. Um, and so Kalamazoo had gone out the previous year. Uh, and then 
uh, we moved the team to, to Keystone, which is Connellsville, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour and a half uh, southeast of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So, you know, the North American League was kind of built around uh, mission with Detroit Compuware and, and Kalamazoo and those places and um, how quickly things change. There's there's no North American League uh, hockey team in uh, in the state of uh, Michigan, which is obviously um, – sad because it's kind of it was the home base. So that's kind of where, where Port Huron, Port Huron uh, went. Yeah. It's uh you know, the NHL and, and, you know, anytime you get into tier two, there can be a lot of movement, but uh, you want to see programs succeed and, and stay. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, a major junior league or something just unfortunately uh, kind of changes the situation, but you were able to, uh, you know, take a take on some more responsibility there after the coaching change and and kind of continue to build your program and take on more responsibility and in your third year uh, now in Keystone you're able to take on that president role as well and and really be uh, hands on in in all areas of the operation of officially as we know you were definitely involved uh, prior to that I want to take a second to let you know that week two of the football season is in the books and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week three with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off another action-packed week, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when you bet $1 on any football game. Listen up because you don't want to miss this. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, and one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Now back to the interview with Michael Gershon, head coach at Chatham University. Following your time in the NAHL, uh, you would go into the NCAA. And, and one of the, the more unique positions in, in coaching and in hockey at any level, I think, is the experience of working as a volunteer coach at the college level. So that first year at Robert Morris, maybe just talk about uh the, from the perspective of a volunteer coach and maybe the challenges or the, the differences, you know, kind of facing that first year on the job. Yeah, it was, it was different. Um, you know, coming from junior hockey, uh, I, I don't think I had a vacation um, until I was out of junior hockey. I mean, you just, you play 60 plus games plus playoffs and then there's camps and you're trying to fill them. And so, um, you know, and on top of that, I was also team president. So then I was trying to, that's when you get advertising and, and all, all of that stuff. So for me, I was go, go, go for pretty much for four years when I stopped uh, playing until I got to college. And then as the volunteer, um, you get into college and, and you can't do anything, right? The, this is now six years ago, uh, six or seven years ago. And, and, They've they've added some things in college, which has been great at the Division One level. But before, um, you pretty much could go on the ice uh, for forty five minutes in a small group of four, uh, and you could only do that for four hours a, a week. So you had to find ways of making it work 
Uh, and it was just so different until October, really, when you could go full practice. Um, and so that was really different for me in the aspect of like, hey, you're home on the weekend, especially as a volunteer. I didn't I can't recruit. So you know, I was home on the weekends in, in August and September. Um, you know, when we were on the road, I was on the road with the team. When we were at home, I was home, but I wasn't doing any, you know, recruiting. So, you know, it was really, it was a really different aspect of it just from a, Hey, I can focus on hockey. That was it. My job was hockey. That was, that was it. I didn't have to go sell a dashboard. I didn't have to go and talk to, uh, you know, somebody that wanted to do tickets for school, you know, getting, uh, school kids in, uh, or, or, you know, selling, they wanted to go sell Girl Scout cookies and right. Like all those things at the junior hockey level that you need to now it was, Hey, your job's hockey. And, and that was, that was really nice because at the junior level, I mean, I was doing maybe a couple hours of hockey a day. And then you were doing the rest was, was all the other stuff of how to keep the, keep the, organization afloat, right? How do you make money? How do you sell tickets? All those things. So getting to college and, and, and seeing just how things were run was, was nice. Again, I had never been an assistant coach. So once, once I had left the North American league and it was kind of like, Hey, you know, I, I think I want to go be an assistant. I, I would like to learn from other people, right? Cause right now all, all I know is, you know, what dips taught me and what Brian Dickinson and what's Dan Julia and, and, and those guys had, had taught me and then what I had learned on my own. Um, and so now it was, okay, now I can sit back. They don't have to be my ideas. They don't have to be things that I have to come up with or my drills or, or anything like that. I can see how other people watch the game, talk about the game, do different things. So it was it was nice in that aspect of, okay, it's just hockey and you just have to go and almost be a sponge. And that's kind of what I what I was looking for. Um, I needed that, I think, especially, you know, on a resume. I mean, um, my resume was just head coach and there's some, some guys that don't want just head coaches. Um, some guys like guys that are just assistants. So for me, you know, as I kind of said, Hey, if I want to move up in the game, um, you know, I wanted to, to find something that was stable <laughs> because the way, uh, junior hockey was the way our program, our organization kind of folded, uh, I was looking for something um, a little bit more stable, thinking that college was was that aspect of it. And, um, you know, now Robert Morris doesn't have a hockey program right now. They're um, hopefully coming back in a year. Um, so I don't know. Maybe it's me. <laughs> maybe I'm the I'm the, the program killer. But, um, you know, so that that first year was was really um was really good for me to learn. And and we had, you know, the, the head coach, Derek Schooley, who's been there for 15 years and um, the late, late Mark Workman um, who ended up scouting for Vegas their first year before he unfortunately passed away from, uh, from cancer was, was great. And then Cody Van Renter, Jim, who um, uh, I ended up working with for four years at, at Robert Morris um, you know, there was great to just sit there and learn and talk hockey and what are you seeing and what do you, what do you believe in and how are we doing these things? And they're different than what I was thinking. And so obviously I've taken some things and, um, you know, some things I didn't like, some things I did like, and, and you take that and you just kind of tuck it away. And so, um, you know, that was, that was really, you know, it was a good year. We were really good. We went to the, you know, the, the, um, we won our league championship. We lost in the uh, 
conference championship, which is the playoffs in the finals. Uh, really thought we were going to go to the national ter- tournament that time. We had a great group. Um, it was an interesting group. A lot of big time personalities, big time senior class. And at college, you really do win with your seniors. And and that group had over, I think they had five guys over a hundred points, which at college hockey is is hard to do. That hundred point marker is is a tough marker and so that group was was really really strong um and so thought we were going to do it it just you know didn't happen but uh, so that year was was great from a volunteer perspective yeah it sounds like you're able to learn a lot and and anytime you have diana's success uh, with the players producing and things like that uh it only furthers the you know the abilities or or the the chances that you get to kind of put things into practice and you know, you continue with the with the program for a number of years and now branched off into Chatham University. But uh, just discuss the remainder of that term and then walk us through the process of now becoming a head coach in your own program. Sure. Yeah. So um, Mark left to go uh, be a volunteer or go uh, scout with uh, the Vegas Knights, uh, Golden Knights. And, and he was really happy to do that. He was getting to go back to, to Minnesota where he's from and um, you know, I, I felt like it was a natural, uh, progression for me to just step right in since I knew all the players and I kind of knew how everything was going and the program was, uh, was still moving in the, in the right direction. Um, and so, yeah, just kind of stepped into, to now a paid position and now you're on the road recruiting and, and that was a new thing, uh, where you're getting to go and people are wanting to talk to you right before I was at tier three, Kid, you know, kids didn't really want to go to tier three. They wanted to go to the North American League. And then when you're in the North American League, it's, oh, I'm going to go to the USHL, right? So there was always kind of like, you know, you weren't getting that recognition or you weren't getting the the top guys. And um, and now you could go to a rank and people wanted to have conversations with you because, you know, now you're a division one coach and you can hand out scholarships and, you know, you can go, um, you know, provide for, for a kid who – you know, may not be able to go to college without a scholarship. So, um, you know, that was really nice. And, and, you know, my four years, uh, or three, I guess it would be three years with, with Cody, um, as the assistant, uh, were great. I mean, we brought in some really good players. Um, Cody left, uh, hockey, got a really good uh, job offer out of hockey and, and Ryan Crothers came in, who was an alum of the program. Uh, Ryan and I had grown up playing against each other, um, and kind of knew each other. He's a Long Island guy. And I was a New Jersey guy and, and he had been a, an alum of the program. I think he's one of the all-time leading scorers of the program. Um, and so, you know, he came in and, and came in with some fresh ideas, um, learned a lot from him, uh, especially from the offensive side of it. As uh, My job, my role um, at Robert Morris was defenseman um, and the penalty kill um, and obviously recruiting and, and was liaison for the admissions and, you know, we had support staff and that type of stuff, but um, you know, Ryan came in and, and kind of freshened th- some things up from our offensive side of things. Um, and so that was, again, it was just a different point of view. It was a different way of thinking. And so, you know, you take what you like and what you don't like and um, kind of incorporate all that stuff. So, um, you know, it, it, it just kind of happened. Um, you know, Chatham is, is in Pittsburgh um, it's a new program and it didn't work out with the old coach. Um, and they, 
you know, they, they came and, and had a conversation, um, you know, with me to, to see if I would have any interest in, um, you know, in potentially the, the head coaching position. And, um, you know, at the time it was, uh, it was, it, it, we were still in playoffs. Um, and so I kind of said, Hey, you know, I'm not really thinking about that right now. And, um, <laughs> you know, then COVID happened and, um, you know, we were, we were ready to play game one and, and we got shut down and, and right after, you know, had a conversation with Derek and we had had conversations and he wanted to obviously know what my thoughts were, um, you know, just kind of long-term and, and, um, you know, I don't think anybody ever thinks they're going to stay in the same spot, which, you know, some do and some don't. And, uh, I enjoyed my time at Robert Morris and, and, you know, wasn't planning on leaving if, if Chad hadn't come and, and, um, checked in, um, you know, part of, part of the allure of Chatham was, was my wife was the director of admissions at Chatham at the time. And so I kind of already knew what I was getting myself into, um, with the university. I knew people at the university, so I wasn't going in blind as to how things worked at the university. Um, you know, so that was, that was a nice part of, uh, having maybe a little bit of an in on, you know, how admissions works, right? At, at college, at, at the division one level, it's all right. Can they pass clearing house? Um, you know, here's their scholarship is, does it work out? Where at the division three level, you know, you got to get them in through admissions before, you know, you can even decide if, if they can afford it one and, and if they can get in and then if you want them to be on the team. So there's a little bit more that goes into the division three recruiting um, than the division one recruiting. And so having that, you know, that in of how things work, um, you know, I think helped my decision a little bit, um, you know, being in a spot for, for that long, not having to move my family again, I've got a three-year-old and, and we enjoy where we're at. And so that was part of not, you know, part of the, the allure of the job was, you know, I get to stay where I'm at. Right. And to know what's going on with, with, with Chatham and how the inner workings are. But, you know, again, I wanted to have something else on my resume now that, yeah, I was a head coach at tier three. I was a head coach at North American league. Now as an assistant at the division one level, you know, my goal, I think your goal is always to be a head coach. At least for me, it was, um, you know, whether that was a division one or division three, I didn't have a preference, um, but I just knew that, you know, it was for me, it was an opportunity to see the inside of a university from the head coaching's perspective, because an assistant, you know, you're not in charge of budgets. Um, you don't go to, you know, there's there's meetings that you're not involved in. There's conversations as an assistant coach you're not involved in because your job is to recruit, uh, recruit, make sure hockey is is handled. Right. But you're not doing a ton of interviews. You're not, um, you know, you're not meeting with with different people on planning of rinks or planning of locker room upgrades or any of those things that, you know, I think, you know, if you want to be at the top of wherever you want to be, you need to have that ability to to know those things and know how to handle those things. And how do you how do you handle a budget? Right. How do you fundraise? Um you know, all of those different things I think came into my mind when it was, when it was put in front of me of this offer that to, to take this spot. And, um, I think, you know, it was just one of those opportunities, right time, right place. And, 
and then, and then obviously COVID hit and it was, so it changed a little bit. Yeah. It just sounds like one of those right places, right time. I think that's the best way to sum it up, but uh, you can tell that your experiences, uh, whether it's in New Mexico or with Port Huron and, and just all the things that were going on off the ice uh, really comes into, uh, into play in a role like this. Again, the NCAA uh, Division Three level, uh, a lot of things come on your shoulders as well. While there is a little more support, um, it's still good to have uh, an idea of all areas of the operation. So it seems like a great position. And I guess just kind of building off of that, you know, you, you said that the goal is to be a head coach and at first you went right into being the head coach, but then you had the the opportunity to kind of take a step back, learn from a couple other coaches and then go into it. So I, I guess for people maybe listening to the podcast who are looking to uh, one day be a head coach as well, uh, do you feel it, it's better to go the assistant coach route and into a head coach? Or do you think that in certain situations, it's maybe fine to jump right in and, and kind of learn, um, you know, just kind of day to day in the process. Yeah. I, you know what I think about this a lot, um, you know, as I was moving up and I was trying to apply for different, for different jobs that I wasn't getting, I wasn't getting interviews for different things. And I'm kind of saying, well, you know, why, why not? What's wrong with my resume? Is it my resume? Um, and I don't know if it was my resume. Um, you know, if I could do it all over again, would I, would I go be a head coach before being an assistant? I think it depends on the situation, you know, because part of it is which, which path do you go? Right. My, my, as I think about it, you know, could I have gone and been an assistant in the East coast hockey league and started and done the pro path, right. Or do you do the junior slash NCA volunteer path? Like there's, I think there's really probably four paths, right. You've got your, your major junior, your regular junior, whether it's junior a or tier one or tier two, tier three, um, college or pro, um, and where, where do you want to go? And, and I didn't really know. I, I was just kind of, Hey, I got a, somebody wants to hire me to be a coach. This is, this is great. I get to be a coach. Um, cause I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do now that I'm done playing. Um, you know, I got a communications degree. I wasn't looking to get into to television or, or radio or, or anything like that. I, I can talk and, <laughs> Um, you know, as I were 43 minutes in, I feel like I've been blabbing. My wife tells me all the time to, you know, I, I blab a lot, but, um, you know, so now I was like, great, I got a job. This is, this is amazing. You know, thinking back on it, you know, should I have tried to get an assistant job before I got a head coaching job? Maybe would that have helped? Um, you know, I think a lot of it is, is you get help from people that you work for, or, you know, that can potentially push, um, push for you or they'll put, put their name out there for you. I think that, uh, now that, you know, I'm in the hiring, uh, in charge of hiring, you know, there's times where, you know, if I don't know the kid, but there's somebody, you know, on his reference sheet or you know, that he make that somebody makes a phone call about, it'll pique my interest. Doesn't mean I'm not going to go through the process. Uh, but, um, you know, there's, there's pros to pros to both, right? There's learning on the job, as a head coach and how to be handle all of that, that goes on, goes into being a, a head coach. Also you know, learning to do billets and that's a huge part of junior hockey and tickets and camps. Right. But also, okay, I work for somebody, you know, I'm just doing hockey, but I'm working for them and they see something in me and they want to help. Right. And there's an opening somewhere and they say, Hey, you should go for it. I'll make a phone call for you. Right. That to me was 
part of the reason I, I wanted to be an assistant was I, I just didn't feel like I had, you know, had people that I, I didn't work for anybody. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, my mentors, I talked to all the time, but they didn't know me as a coach. They knew me as a player, right? They knew me as a person. And I don't think I've changed as a person. And, you know, I appreciate, you know, they, they would make phone calls on my behalf, but you know, if those coaches asked them, Hey, how, how is he as a coach? I'm, they couldn't probably say anything about it. They could say, Hey, he's a great person. He'll work really hard, you know, quick learner, all, all of those things. But, you know, from a coaching standpoint, they didn't know how I was as a coach. So, you know, it really just kind of depends on what you're looking to do, what's your path, um, you know, how, what's your mentality, right? I think, I think I had the mentality of, okay, Hey, I want to be a head coach. I want to be in control of everything. But now that I've been an assistant, you know, if it, if it was the right situation where there was an assistant job, right. You got to look at it for what's best for your career. So, um, you know, I look at, you look back at life and you say, Hey, I would have, could I have done that different? Could I have done this different? I just really think it's, um, what gets put in front of you, right? If, if there's a head coaching job and you have nothing else, do you not take that because you want to learn from somebody else? Or do you take that and you try to make contacts and then you can move on? Or if you want to be a head coach, but the only job offered to you is a volunteer assistant job or a graduate assistant, do you give that up because, you know, it's not a paid position or it's, uh, you know, if I don't, I feel like these days there's not, you know, there's not a ton of grind out there. It's kind of like, Hey, I want to be a head coach. How do I get that? Or, Hey, I want to be a paid assistant and pay me $50,000. Like that's, that's, if you're trying to be a coach, you're not getting in it to be rich. I mean, there's, there's 32 guys that are rich. That's it. Um, you know, even assistant coaches at the NHL level are, I mean, they're, yeah, they're well, you know, they do well, but it's not like, Hey, I can just do one year and then I don't have to work forever. Right. So we're not, we're not getting in this business to, to be, uh, to be rich. We're getting in this business because we love what we do. We want to teach players and we want to teach people how to become better people. I mean, for me, that was one of the bigger things. So um, I think it just really depends on what is your goal. Um, I don't think I had the time to sit down and think of, hey, my goal is X. You know, it went from, hey, I'm looking for a coaching job to, oh, here's an opportunity to go and be a head coach. I didn't have anything else and let me take it. Yeah, no, a great point there in just that it's very situational. And I think everybody, you know, even people that go into the same roles, whether it's someone moves on and someone else takes that old job, everybody has such a different approach and a different reasoning for going to certain places. So I think that all of that needs to be taken into account. And uh, in the situation that you're in now, uh, one of the big things that you do, as you touched on multiple times here, is the recruiting process and trying to uh, to get top talents into the program. And uh, I guess for people who, again, maybe aren't as familiar with the college um, system and just kind of how everything works, just touch on the recruiting process a little bit more and then even tie in how uh, the growth of hockey in the U.S. and, and kind of the player pool that you're now uh, looking for elite talent in. Yeah, so um, you know, recruiting is the lifeblood of the program. You don't have good players, you don't have a program. So, um, you know, for us, it's, it's changed with, with COVID. Um, a lot more stuff has gone on in stat is, uh, has been, been very beneficial. We were able to get out a little bit last year, but, 
um, not much. And so a lot of our recruiting was uh, done through video. Um, and I think that's going to be a bit of a game changer for some, some programs, especially, you know, at the division one level, you know, you've got the ability to go out and, and chase games at the division three level, at least where we're at. Um, you know, we have a, a local tier three program in the USPHL um, in Pittsburgh. Johnstown uh, is an hour and a half away. Uh, Jamestown is an hour, two and a half hours away. Um and that's pretty much it. I mean, we have Youngstown 45 minutes away, but at the Division Three level, we're not going to, to Youngstown. So we don't really chase games. Uh, you know, I'll go to Johnstown and Pittsburgh um, to watch those because they're local. But other than that, I mean, for us, we go to a lot of showcases and we try to catch uh, a lot of games um, at the showcases. And then we'll follow that up by watching some video uh, on uh, on players. You know, uh, teams out east have different probably recruiting practices where they can go and watch games just because it's it's an easier drive um you know but at the division three level you know we want to make sure that we try to recruit you know the best players that we possibly can but part of it is you know getting them into school i mean we've got a pretty high standard for for um, admissions here at chatham um, and also the cost of school is is pretty high so those two things have to mesh before we can really even, you know, I don't want to say consider them, but we, you know, we look at guys and we say, Hey, we like them, but we're not going to do a deep dive on guys until we know that they can afford school. And we tell all of our uh, potential recruits that we want them to apply to school so that we know that they can get in uh, and that they can afford school. Because at, at some point, I mean, if, if you don't have great grades, you're not going to get a very high academic scholarship, which we can offer. There are no athletic scholarships at the division three level. Um, and, and so the way finance, the way scholarships work are it's academic, and then there's a financial aid component of it. And those are the two scholarships at the division three level that you're allowed to give. And that's, you're just a normal student to admissions. I mean, you're, yes, you say you play hockey, but there isn't any, uh, oh, we'll give him more money because he plays athletics. That's uh, a violation. So, um, you know, we want to make sure that guys, can get into school and can afford school before we say, okay, now we're going to start watching multiple games. We're going to really start to watch, you know, you as a player, we're going to talk with your coaches. Uh, I mean, what we do, what we do here is no different than it, what I did at Robert Morris. I mean, we do our deep dives. We want to know about them, you know, the type of people they are, uh, you know, their parents. Uh, we'll even go back and talk to midget coaches. We want to know what, what, people are because at, at the college level you can't trade uh you can't trade these guys right like they're here for four years and, and that's how it should be and you try to find out as much information and make sure it works with what your culture is how you want to play uh, because the, the jump from um in my opinion the jump from midget to junior is it, it's high but it's not crazy the jump from juniors to college it's really high. Like I, I think people underestimate probably because people have never seen a division three hockey game. They, they just assume that it's, Oh, well, if it's not division one and they don't give scholarships, they're not good hockey players. And, and that's couldn't be further from the truth. There are a lot of guys that play at top levels, um, top junior levels, whether it's, you know, the North American league or the BCHL or the AJ, um, you know, that, 
that or the NCDC or, or any really any league that come in and, and they were top guys for their team and they come in and struggle for years because it's older guys, it's faster, it's more physical. Uh, but also you have to be able to keep up with your schooling, right? You've got to be able to keep up with the social life. There's, there's things that it's not just, Oh, Hey, let me go to practice. Maybe I'll go work out if my junior program has a, has a gym and a strength coach, and then I'm going to go play NHL for five hours. I'm going to stay up till two in the morning and I'm going to do that all over again. Well, you can't do that college. You're just not going to be a good player because you just don't have the energy. And so we really want to do a deep dive because we treat our program like a professional program or a division one program. And we, we expect a lot from our, uh, from our players. Um, you know, we practice early in the morning. So there's, um, you know, there's a sacrifice that they have to do to get up early. Um, and then they got to go to school all day. Then they go to the gym with our strength coach and then they've got to go and do homework. And then they've got to try to find some time for, for themselves and they do it all over again. And so we really want, people that understand, hey, I'm coming to the school to get a really good education first and, and hopefully help us build this program um, into, a, into a, a, a good hockey program second. And then, you know, Saturday nights and, you know, out of season, be a college student. We want, we want them to be a college student, but it's, it's, a, it's a grind, whether it's division one, division three, uh, ACHA. I mean, it doesn't really matter if you're playing a college sport, it's a lot. And so, um, you know, I think it's, it's important for people to understand that it's not just, Oh, Hey, I'm just going to show up to the rink, throw all my gear. I'm going to be the best player because I played in this league and I'm going to go home. Like, that's just, that's not how, it, how college sports are. And I don't care what level it is. No, uh, another great point there. And, and just the fact that there is a, you know, a fairly substantial jump and, and a tough transition if they're kind of not prepared for it. And, uh, you definitely have to do your due diligence in, in seeing uh, maybe how the player prepares behind the scenes, see if uh, they're capable of, you know, transitioning into that on ice product. And you talk about using different resources and talking with different people or using something like Instat. Um, you know, there's so many resources out there for, uh, for looking at players and, and learning about players, but there's also a lot of resources for learning about the game and, and hockey operations. So, uh, I guess just as a question that we asked to a lot of our listeners or a lot of our uh, guests, sorry. Um, what are some of your favorite resources? It could be books, articles, conferences, uh, webinars, all these different things that you look to for new ideas or reference on the game. Yeah. I mean, as a staff, I'm, you know, I'm lucky here. We've got um, Billy Connolly, who is is a volunteer assistant for me. He's got a full-time job and he's the head coach of uh, central Catholic high school, which is a predominant high school here. And, uh, I'm really lucky to have a guy like that on staff. And, um, you know, we try, we send stuff back and forth. Twitter is my, I'm on it way too much. I, I know it. My wife tells me all the time, but you know, I send, we'll send stuff back and forth. There are a ton of really good people on Twitter that, you know, see things and put it out there. And at the end of the day, it's all, we're all copying each other. There's no like, hey, you know, the, the the Russian five, you know, they came up with their own thing. But, you know, that playing five, five man, it's not like Tampa made that up, right? Like everybody steals things and they, they put it into their, you know, to their systems and their programs. And so, you know, we just we try to take 
as much as we can from from anything. Obviously, Twitter and, and Instagram are great for uh, you know for little things that we can go and, and just send back and forth. Hey, this is a really good idea, or hey, that's a really good drill. Um, you know, we've we've been at you know we try to go to every conference. You know, whether that's the coaches' site or the NHL, you know, CA uh, coaches convention. Um, you know, we're at the NA or we're at the NCAA coaches convention. Um, I know, I think the coaches sites putting on an NCAA coaches convention, uh, at the beginning of October with coaches and a lot of it's just talking hockey. Like we just had a call with, with an NHL assistant coach who, you know, is trying to, is, is helping us, you know, weren't happy with our power play last year. And so just hopped on a call, reached out, hopped on a call and said, Hey, can you help me help us with our power play? Um, and just things like that, where you're, you're constantly learning, um, Again, like I said, I'm a big soccer guy, football, soccer. Um, and so I like reading, you know, about coaches and how they handle things and how they train. And, and I've read the Alex Ferguson books and the uh, you know Pep Guardiola books and watching, um, you know, documentaries and, and all of those things. And, you know, got to, you know, I have a text chain with, with the GM in the, uh, in the USHL. And when we see things that, you know, are culture based or anything like that, it's just, we shoot stuff back and forth and it's just kind of getting your, your group of people that you, you I don't want to say even trust. Like you just think are smart hockey people are, you know, these people are smarter than me. Like, you know, that's, that's, I want to learn from, from them. Um, and I expect our, our coaches, like I expect, I want Billy to, to teach me something. Um, you know, it's not a dictatorship here at Chatham. We, we, I want to learn. I'm 36 years old. I'm now nowhere near, um, you know, a complete coach. And, and I don't think I ever will be. And I think if you stop learning as a coach, you just give up. Right. Um, so for us, it's, it's constantly learning, constantly looking at different things. How can we help our program? Even, you know, if it's, if it's something that, you know, probably doesn't work this year, but maybe it's something you keep in the back of your mind or a face-off play that you see on an NHL game or uh, somebody snap, you know, gets it in and puts it on Twitter, you know, and it's like, Ooh, like that's interesting. Probably can't do it with this group or, you know, I don't think we can implement that, but let me keep it. And five years down the road, um, you know, great example of that is, is a coach in the Western States hockey league. When I coached there, um, you know, ran a, ran a power play breakout that I've never seen before. I never saw it as a player, never saw it again. And our power play didn't really like how we were breaking out. And we brought it, brought it out um, in a game last year and almost scored immediately off of it. And I hadn't seen it in five years, six years, but it was kind of talking with, with, with Billy and just saying, Hey, like, I think maybe this could work. They were playing a, a one, one, two, and I think it could work if they suck this guy down and you just kind of, talk back and forth. You talk hockey, you draw it out and you say, okay, if this happens, can this work? And you just kind of see if it works. Um, and it worked and I kind of like it and, you know, maybe we'll keep it, maybe we won't, but it was something that, again, I hadn't seen, uh, in five years and, um, no one, no one's used it since. So again, I think a lot of it is trying to just get a catalog of different things that you like and you think can work for you and just continuing to build your, your, uh, your inventory of drills and I'm a drill junkie. I love drills, coming up with drills, copying drills, taking a drill, changing a little bit of it. You know, just, I enjoy that, that part of, of the coaching aspect as well. And, 
Yeah. No, I, I, again, a lot of great points coming up here and uh, so many different resources out there. It could be people, it could be uh, hockey specific things like the, the coaches site and all these different resources, but also uh, tying in soccer and, and some of those elite coaches and how they just uh, deal with culture and dealing with managing people. It, it all kind of ties into it. And uh, you, you kind of mentioned there just how you like to interact with your staff or uh, people in other leagues, maybe at the same level, maybe different levels, just to uh, share ideas and, and share references. But um, another thing that you had said early in the process of the interview was about uh, one of the mentors and some of those early mentors uh, for you early in your career. So uh, we like to do this all the time with our podcast guests. But once again, maybe just shed some light on the key mentors who helped you thus far in your career and uh, maybe just touch on some of the major lessons that they taught you collectively. Yeah, um, you know, I think I've had some pretty decent coaches, um, you know, growing up from youth hockey to prep school. And, and then obviously, you know, Christy Piero at, at St. Mike's um, coming in as a as a deadline day. You know, you kind of you're kind of wanted. Right. You know, you're going from one team to, that maybe not be great to a, a potential championship team. And just, you know, he was probably the first guy that didn't want to be coached called coach to me that was like oh okay like he's a normal person right like he's yes he's your coach but you can have a conversation and you know he had a couch in his office and you know I was coming from prep school where that that just wasn't a thing because the coach was also the admissions counselor and and had other things and you just you know you just didn't do that right like you went to practice and you had study hall after that or you had dinner you had to get somewhere because everything was so structured where you know, juniors like I I was in Toronto. I was living in Mississauga. I didn't have anything else to do. So yeah, he just kind of went in there and, and hung out and you had conversations. And I think, you know, he was one of the first guys that you could just like, I could have a conversation with and it wasn't, Oh, Hey, you know, this is your coach. Like you can't talk to your coach in a non hockey setting. And I don't know why I ever thought that you know, your coach wasn't a normal person, but you just, as you're a younger kid, you just grow up like, Oh, Hey, the coach, knows everything and you know just and i don't want to say i wasn't respectful but you always said hey coach you know this or coach that and i don't think chris wanted to be called coach DePiro at all i don't remember he was pretty much dips right so um you know so that was from a from a player kind of management style like that was really unique um you know, I think I incorporated a little bit of, of some of his, some of his hockey things. Um, but as I got away from that, I mean, I went through a couple more coaches in a, four years at, at college where I played for Brian Dickinson, who was one of the nicest people will, you know, I'll, I'll ever meet. And, um, you know, he had a, had a cancer scare this year and we're, we're happy that things are, um, going well with him. And, and I'm kind of excited. We're in the same Thanksgiving tournament this year. Um, we play, we play, uh, the other two teams. So hopefully we, we play each other and, and hopefully it'd be in the championship. Cause that would obviously, um, be nice to play, you know, you play your, uh, your alma mater, uh, for a championship. So that'll be nice to see him, but you know, you, there's some different things that I take from, um, you know, from, from Brian and, and some of the drills that we did that I continue to use now. And, um, you know, our guys don't like it. The, the one that I, I take, um, it's called a mountain and it's, uh, it's a skating drill. And it was the worst thing I've ever had to do as a player. I felt like, so I was like, well, 
you know, now that I'm a coach, um, but we, and we use that as uh, when we lose, um, you know, I'm not a big believer in bag skating, but I'm a big believer in competing. And so what we tell our guys is, okay, we're going to be in the best shape that we possibly can. And we're going to practice, we practice hard, we practice fast, we don't practice long, but if we lose, there's a punishment. I mean, that's just how life is, right? There's always a winner and there's always a loser. So, um, you know, the mountain goes down. So you got to go all the way down and then you got to come all the way back. And so what we've said is, okay, if we lose one game, you only have to do half the mountain. You lose both games, you got to lose the mountain, got to do the mountain. Uh, and I think last year we lost, we only lost one game, one weekend um, because the guys did it once and they were like, we're never, we never want to lose two. We don't want to lose any, but we definitely don't want to do, do two. And so, you know, again, it was, it's a part of a motivational tool, um, you know, part of a conditioning tool. I don't, you know, I think that's kind of gone away, um, you know, as, as the guys get into better shape, um, you know, they, they, uh, they don't really need the, you know, 20 minutes of bag skating that we, you know, growing up that I always would do at the end of practice, just wasting time. Um, but there's a lot of compete drills that I've taken from, from Brian that, um, you know, that, that I still use today. Um, you know, in terms of probably my main, the main mentor w- would be Stan Julia, who, you know, coached me in, in Port Huron and Wheeling and then went on and, um, coached in, in Milwaukee in the AHL and is currently a scout for, for Nashville. He played in the NHL and, I don't know. We just, we, we kind of collect as players and co as a player and a coach and um, you know, the way he talked to players, the way he talked to me, uh, he traded me, like he traded me. And then I, I, I failed the physical and I had to come back and it was like, Oh, well, this is business and it's not personal. And then that's kind of how I, how I treat everything. And we tell our, we tell our players like, this is nothing to do with personal. I, I like every single person that I, recruit whether you, when you're on my team whether you're here for four years or for a year or when you were juniors and and i had to trade you which we didn't do a lot of because trading somebody is is the hardest thing that and, and cutting people are, are the two hardest things because they're you know they're they're people these are people and you want to make sure that they're you know and they're kids let alone uh you know it might be different if if they were professionals and they're being paid but that that is by far the toughest thing that i've had done is is to cut kids into into trade them and and I think for me, one of those, one of the biggest things was just how you treat people, um, you know, in, in the game. And, and it was, I mean, again, like I said, he, he's my mentor and he traded me and, and we joke about it now, but like, it was, it was, the deal was unbelievable. Like, I don't think I was worth what, you know, I think I got traded for like two players in cash. And I was like, I really, okay, great. You know, and, and it didn't work out and it came back and everything was, was perfectly fine and it wasn't personal and we're still, know, close to this day. So, um, you know, but I, I take a, a lot of the way we play, uh, or at least early on the way we played was, was based off of how he, um, you know, how he ran programs and how or he ran his program and his practices. And, you know, I was so used to college, Brian, you know, at, at Brockport, we had longer practices and I don't know if that, you know, Brian's changed that, but when we practice, we practice for like an hour and a half, an hour and 45 minutes. If we'd have a morning skate, we never really did a morning skate. So we'd go on the road. We had a morning skate to be like an hour and 15 minutes and we'd be doing all this stuff. And I remember my first morning skate in pro hockey and it was 12 minutes. And I was like, what is going on? You, you know, like we're done. Like uh, I, I have no idea. I'm not even warm yet. Right. And, and just the way, 
you know, he know he knew how to handle players and always would have conversations. One of that's one of the things that I, you know, I really try to do is I grab a player uh, before practice, just when everyone's skating around, right? It's just everyone's skating around, they're shooting pucks. It's it's a very easy, uh, non-threatening situation where you can just, you know, hey, how's your day? How do you feel? How's school? How's your girlfriend? How's your dog? Whatever. And and to me, like, again, that hadn't been, I, I don't remember it being done. And, and that was one thing that, again, I, I really took from him was like, okay, like I can have a conversation with him in a non-threatening way. He wants to know about me. Um, I felt like he cared about me. So those are things that I, I really try to, to, to do with our players to show that I, that I care about them. Um, you know, and then, so once I got done, obviously you go and you work for, you know, Derek Schooley for five years. Um, and you learn a lot. You learn, you know, how college is done. Obviously Mark Workman had worked, uh, at the division three level and he'd worked at Brown and, and had been around for a really long time. And, um, you know, I learned a lot from, from him, from a defensive standpoint. Um, you know, Cody Van Rentergem was, was a kid that I played against at, at the division three level. He went to Fredonia. And so we knew each other as well. And, you know, his, you know, he ran the power play. And so, um, you know, I tried to take some of the stuff that we had done with him on the power play. We actually had a call with him um, before our season and, and, you know, it was, it was insightful. And I was like, all right, perfect. I'm just going to be able to plug it in and we should be able to do this. And we tried doing it with our group and it just didn't work out. Right. And so, um, you know, all, all of those guys. And, and like I said, Ryan Crothers, um, you take a little bit of this, you take a little bit of that, how these guys, you know, handle themselves, how they recruited, how they made contacts, who they had contacts with. I mean, I still stay in touch with, with all of them, you know, obviously minus uh, Mark, but um, you know, you, you have all these contacts and you need to make sure you keep them. Right. I mean, it doesn't make sense for you to work with all these people and then not, not talk to them for, you know, for years because, you know, life gets in the way, even if it's, you know, once a year, twice a year, I mean, you know, Stan's, super busy. And, you know, we, we touch base, you know, a couple of times, a, a couple of times a year, but um, you know, it's just, Hey, what, what do you think? Are you hearing anything new? What are you thinking? How do you handle this situation? Um, you know, I think the more you are around people that you trust again, whether you're in a head coach forever and you just have other people that you, that you trust, like there, there are a couple of coaches that are, that are coaching that I never worked with, and you just get friendly with them on the road and you just start talking hockey and you just, you know, COVID was great for that. Like there was nothing going on. So, you know, it was in a coaches, you know, a coaches zoom meeting with, with all these different coaches and we were just talking different things. And, um, and so I think for me, you know, those are, those are you know, the guys that I kind of grew up with and grew up, grew up around. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I've taken a lot of what they've done and made it my own. And, you know, I think if you watch us play at Chatham, we're a little bit different than we were at Robert Morris, right? There's just different philosophies. And, and you know, that was something that I was not shy to, to let Derek know that, you know, we all didn't agree with. And I think he was fine with that, right? At the end of the day, it's the head coach's job to, you know, to, to make the make the team look the way he wants it. But, um, you know, it's something that, I'm a big believer in having differing opinions, um, you know, behind the room. But then when you're, you know, when you're stepping out and you're, you're talking to players, you've got to be a hundred percent, whether you agree with it or not, those, because the players know, like they, they know within, you know, a minute or two, whether, 
you know, the, the staff truly believes this or, you know, they're just, they're just faking it. And so for the, for the people that are just getting into it, really, you, you got to believe it, even if it, you don't agree with it, you, you got to buy into it because at the end of the day, you know, unless you're the head coach, you know, you, you don't have the final say. Um, and so, you know, just have those conversations, get it out there. Don't be afraid to, to, to make your point and have a reason for your point. I'm always a big believer in, in asking why as a, as a head coach, okay, we want to change something. Why? Like, tell me, don't just say, well, we should do this because we should do this and then not have a reason for it. Right. You got to fight for your reason because as a head coach, you know, I think a lot of us are probably stubborn in that, Hey, this is what works for us. It's worked for me for a long time. Why would I change that? Right. And I think you got to have a, a reason behind that and maybe video and facts and, and different things that, um, you know, are going to sway people's opinions compared to, well, you know, I just saw the penguins do this and we should just do this because I saw the penguins do that. Well, you know, they're professionals and they can change on the fly. And, you know, you're, you're working with guys that aren't at that level. So, um, you know, those are, those are my, you know, those would be my, my mentors on top of, you know, other guys that just, I believe in and, and kind of listen to and, you know, bounce stuff off of. It's a great list of mentors and, and, Again, just so many people in the hockey community willing to help, willing to share ideas. And I think you also offered some great advice there about, uh, you know, having the hard conversations with your staff of making sure that when you get out with the players, everything, everybody's on the same page and everything is done for a reason, not just for the fact of doing something new because you think it looks cool or you think it might work. You know, there's a there's a process involved and it seems like that's something that uh, has as been something that you've learned over time and something that you implement on a daily basis now so um with that michael i just want to thank you for taking some time today to join me on the podcast i again i really enjoy uh listening to people who've had a different path than uh, a lot of the guests that we've had on the podcast going through some different levels here and into the college game i, I think for people looking to eventually follow that route uh there's a lot of great insights and uh, perspectives for them throughout this interview so I uh, just want to thank you again, and I wish you all the best here with your program moving forward. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. One thing that fans within the game, hockey minds, and players can agree upon is that when done responsibly, there's nothing better at the end of the day than a cold beer that you enjoy for both its taste and its aroma. And this segment of the Hockey Minds podcast is brought to you by Kitty Vitty Brewery. You can visit their tap room now open seven days a week and their new retail location in St. John's, Newfoundland at 16 Harborview Avenue. If you're one of those people who are maybe looking for some more entertainment, somewhere to sit with friends, you can definitely check out their original location in Kitty Vitty, Newfoundland. Join the Kitty Vitty Craft Club at kittyvittybrewery.ca and give them a follow on social media to keep up to date on the latest brew news. If you're not from Newfoundland and not from the East Coast and you want to get involved, Definitely follow them on social media and learn more about their beer, which is great for a casual beer drinking fan and also the beer enthusiasts. And stay tuned, because who knows, maybe they'll find their way to get their beer to a location near you. Check out Kitty Vitty Brewery today for more information on their beer, clothing, and all things Kitty Vitty Brewery. I'd like to thank Michael for coming on the podcast and sharing his story with us today. As a coach who looks to take each and every opportunity to learn, this should only be the beginning for Michael, and it should be interesting to see how his program grows as a result of his initiative.
If you would like to get in touch with Michael to learn more about his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly, or you can contact HockeyMindsPodcast at Outlook.com and I can help make that connection for you. Be sure to keep checking our social media as we release new guests in the coming days. And once again, thank you everyone for supporting the podcast, and be sure to give us your thoughts and opinions on the show on our various social media platforms. As always, stay safe, and all the best.